If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17, as we continue our season of epiphany, we continue the season where God himself is revealing to us who this Jesus is. We came through a season of Advent where we celebrate the reality that God came to sinners like us to rescue us. God came in flesh. He came as a man. And this is a season examining, well, who is this Jesus and how does that really affect my life? What does that have to do with my day-to-day activities and my perspective of tomorrow? And what an incredible uh, season it's certainly been for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved getting to know and looking again, seeing uh, maybe the story of the gospel through a different lens through this season. And it's been new and fresh. And I hope the same has been for you. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, who's excited for that? Okay, about 12 of you. That's not bad. And I'm going to ask, honestly, are you more excited for the game or the commercials? The commercials, right? I mean, it's like the only time of year we're like, okay, get rid of the game. Let's go to the commercials. Let's see why they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to uh, add their product. So, well, the game kickoff is 630. But you know that the, uh, the hype has already begun, right? I mean, it's going to be all day long. I guarantee, although kickoff is at 6.30 or around there, all day long, they're going to bring in experts. They're going to bring in those who know the game, those who played the game, those who are uh, have-beens and those who are wannabes. And these experts are going to be talking all about the big game. Well, this morning, as we continue our series in this epiphany, we go to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an incredible story in the Bible. It's there that Jesus would take his three closest friends. And by the way, this is very close to last week's sermon uh, in time-wise. Remember last week when Jesus was up at Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And he says to them, who do you say I am? And last week we saw that Peter knocked it out of the park. He said, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And it's shortly after that, that Jesus would take his three closest disciples, his three closest friends. Uh, this is the three that, that he does the most with. I mean, obviously he hangs out with the 12. Scripture says he hangs out with 72, 4,000, 5,000, the multitude. But there's three. There's three that seem to get the inside look. There's three that seem to have the, the closest of closest relationships with Jesus. And it's Peter, James, and John. And they have one of these life-changing moments. As a matter of fact, it really will not just change their life. It will change our life and the destiny of history. But have you ever had a moment that you knew that was significant, but you didn't understand how significant until later? It wouldn't be until after the resurrection they finally understood what was happening. But it was, it was life-changing because right there in front of them, Jesus, who is God in flesh, It says that as we sing the Christmas song, that Jesus veiled himself in flesh. The Godhead veiled in flesh. And so that we would be able to see him and touch him. I mean, to see the glory of God with the naked eye would would like kill us. And so God veils himself in flesh. This is Jesus. And on that mountain, it's kind of like the veil is is removed or, or at least it grows thin. And the glory of God is shining so much so that he's transformed. I mean, he's transformed before them. They said his face shines like the sun and his, his garments became radiant white that no bleach could ever get it that white. And it was at that moment that the, uh, Jesus was joined by some others, some experts. 
He was joined by the experts. Uh, he was joined by Moses, who's this lawgiver of the Bible. And he's joined by Elijah. These guys were long dead. These guys were long gone, but they now appear on the mountain. And you have the one who represents the law and the one who represents uh, the prophets. And it says in the gospel of Luke that they were talking with one another. Isn't that one of those conversations you would just love to hear? Uh, here, here is Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And I love the fact that the gospel of Luke tells us what they were talking about. And he, it's, it's fascinating. He says they're talking about Jesus's departure. Do you know it's the only time the Greek word exodus is used? Now, if you know the Bible, you know that Exodus is a theme of the Bible that runs all the way through the Bible, that, that God loves his people. He, he takes us from slavery and he leads us into the promised land. And he, Exodus, if anybody knew Exodus, hello, it's Moses, that whole Red Sea deal, that, that whole plagues of Egypt. And here they're talking about Jesus's Exodus. They're talking about his departure and, and what is to come uh, up as he heads toward Jerusalem, a cross, a grave. A resurrection. But it's there as the, Jesus is being transformed. And it's there that uh, these other two appear. It's there that the Father joins them. He no longer can contain silence again. And he, he joins them and he, he singles out his son. He said, Now that's my beloved son in whom I am so well pleased. Listen to him. He's the one we should listen to. The other two fade away. And all that is left standing is Jesus. Let's read this account given to us in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. By the way, I, I strongly encourage you, if you want to dig in more, uh, get what well, this, this is also given to us in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 11. And Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 37. And you compare them. I, I have a program where I can print it all out right next to each other. And you compare the way that each gospel writer shares a story. And again, they're so similar. Obviously, it's the same story. But you get a little bit of different nuances. It's kind of like tomorrow when you talk about the big game. And you talk about with some other folks who watched it. They'll, they'll maybe saw a commercial you missed. Or they saw an angle you missed. Or it's part of the game. And here we have a full orb story. But let's hear the word of the Lord. Contained in Matthew 17 verses 1 through 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it's Mark will say that you couldn't even bleach his clothes to get that light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said, it's typical Peter, start speaking before you don't even know it. Mark will tell us that he said this out of fear. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. And if you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking like kind of being interrupted by God, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them 
saying, rise and have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. And Father God, in this incredible passage where you will declare again your love, your loyalty, your passion for your son. God, we see that at the end of the story, there's only one who is to be seen, and it's Jesus. And Jesus, I stand here by your grace and because of the calling on my life to show Jesus to this congregation. May he be the only one who is standing. May he be the only one who is seen and may he be the only one who is heard. And God, for you to do that, you'll have to be willing and pleased like you are somehow in your mercy to speak through a broken sinner like me. Father, would you do that which only you could do? Would you give us ears to hear your voice as it boomed on that mountain? May it boom into our lives. May we even through Christ, your son, here, beloved, about us. God, would you come and would your spirit illumine, enlighten our minds so that we would understand your word? God, would you be with your people so that we can embrace you and your love and your truth in our hearts? And would you be so powerfully and tangibly with us that you would cause our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we'll see is, this is my beloved son. The father is going to exclaim, this is my beloved son. This is the second time in Jesus's earthly ministry that the father can no longer remain silent. And he proclaims from heaven, this is my boy. This is the beloved one. This is the chosen one. This is the one that I love. And it's very interesting. He adds something on this one. He says, listen to him. It was at Jesus's baptism when we first heard these words recorded from heaven. The first time the father would explain that this is my beloved son. And it's interesting. It was right before Jesus's temptation. It was right after. It was like during his, his baptism and the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And after that, Jesus would be driven into the wilderness and be tempted. And it's kind of like, hey, there's a season of temptation coming. There's a season in my son's life. He's got to know his identity. He's got to know that I love him a lot. And at that time, I'm going to say, this is my beloved boy. And now we have on this Mount of Transfiguration. And it's right before Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. It's right before his exodus. And again, the father would, just like only the father can, would encourage him. He knows what's coming. He knows about that cross. He knows about that grave. He knows what's coming. He's going to say, but this is my beloved boy. There's no one like him. Listen to him. 
what is happening here, especially as you see uh, Moses and Elijah appear, God is making it very clear. And we have to understand this. Jesus is not just one in a line of many. Jesus is not one holy man who's come that stands with other holy men. He is unique. He's not one of the same. This is, you can almost hear uh, 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 Sesame Street. Which one is different? Which one doesn't belong? It's, it's Jesus. And the father is going to say, it is so true. It's different with this one. And you got to understand, Moses was amazing. There was no one in the Old Testament like Moses. I mean, Moses, it says in scripture, he spoke face to face with God. Moses was so close to God. It says that his face shone with the glory of God. He had to put a veil over it so it wouldn't freak people out. But here you see, Jesus doesn't have a reflected glory of God. His face shined like the sun because he is the glory of God. You see, Moses was a servant. Jesus is a son. And then there was Elijah, and Elijah was amazing. Elijah triumphed over 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I mean, through his prayer, he called down heaven on a really wet and soggy sacrifice and burned it up. I mean, it's incredible. Through his prayers, he brought rain in a drought-filled land. I mean, uh, Elijah was amazing prophet of God, but he was a servant, not a son. And Jesus is different. Jesus is unique. Jesus is the beloved son. He's saying, listen, listen to him. This passage also reveals to us something really important is that, that God is the one who reveals himself to us, that we, we don't discover God. God allows us to discover him as he is revealed to us. God reveals himself to us in creation. Psalm 19 says that creation pours forth, pours forth speech day and day. It communicates about a God who lives, who is. Romans 1 says there's not one person who's without excuse of not knowing God because of creation itself. But it's not sufficient for us to know and love him and be saved. So God gave us his word. He gave us his word, a story of who he is and how he can be known and loved. And again, we have to know him as revealed to us in his word. He's, he's given us his spirit. That spirit that ascended upon Jesus at baptism comes into our hearts as believers. And he reveals to us who this Jesus is. Here's the important thing. We can't have a Mr. Potato Head Jesus of our own choosing. And maybe that's an older toy that I played as a kid. I mentioned it last week. And it was a toy where you get this potato head, which I don't know whoever thought this would be fun to do. And you can change out the way he looks and you can add different features that you want to make your potato head look the way you want it to be. But we don't have a Mr. Potato Head Jesus. We have a Jesus who is eternal God in flesh. He reveals himself to us and we must know him as he is. We can't cherry pick what we like and don't like. So even last week in Peter's confession, this turning point of the gospel where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Even when he nails it and knocks it out of the park, Jesus quickly says to him, by the way, Peter, you didn't all of a sudden become a smarter fisherman than everybody else. You didn't just all of a sudden just be able to put this equation together. Flesh and blood, Peter, did not reveal this to you. Listen to this. You know Jesus as the Christ and the son of the living God because the father reveals it to you. The point is this. God reveals himself to us. And we have the privilege of submitting and seeing who he is. But they also, in this epiphany, we see God revealing to us his son. It also reminds us is that his son is the source of all blessing. 
It's through Jesus. It's not our good work. It's his good work. It's not our character. It's his character. And so if you are longing to know the father who would say, this is my son to you. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. The only way, the only way we ever find the father's pleasure is through his only begotten son. It's through his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's incredible. It's by God's grace. In Jesus, we find God's blessing too. In Jesus, we are accepted in the beloved. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. He and he alone is the source of the Father's pleasure. But then he says this, this is my beloved son. Well, we'll listen to him. <laughs> Peter acted like Peter had no idea what to do. Can you imagine if you were on that mountain, what would you do? Peter just starts doing something. He's like, man, it's great that we're here. This is fantastic. Hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start making three tents. And before we throw Peter on the bus, he didn't say I'm going to make myself a tent. Or one for my other two friends here. He says, I'm going to make a tent for Moses. And I'm going to make a tent for Elijah. And I'm going to make a tent for Jesus. And we're going to have this wonderful platform of these great heroes of the Bible. These great heroes of God. I'm going to build three of them. You know what he was invertently trying to do? Put them on the same level. You got the law and Moses. You got the prophets and Elijah. And you got Jesus that we'll find is the gospel. And let's put them all on the same level. But again, Jesus is like no other. And I love the fact that his face shone like the sun. I mentioned that. And Moses reflected it. It's like Moses is like the moon. It's reflected glory. There's nothing in him himself that shines glory. He's like us. He's dust. But Jesus is different. He doesn't shine like the moon that has no light in it. He is the light. He is the light of the world. He shines like the sun Because he is God in flesh. Jesus is God's glory. Moses has had a reflection of it. And he says, listen to him. And here's, this is, this is so fundamental. Lean into this. We must hear Moses and the law through Jesus. This is basically, this is so, this is incredible. It's basically saying, listen, the law doesn't set us free. The law doesn't save us. Trying to be a moral right person isn't going to help us find our way home or find the Father's pleasure. It's Jesus who on the Sermon on the Mount said, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. He says something incredible. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill all. You know what that means? It means this, all the law's demands, and there are a lot. All the law's demands because a holy God are fulfilled, are are accomplished, are done because of the work of the son. The law finds its fulfillment, but there's more. The law, breaking the law, curses anyone who breaks the law. And that's all of us. And on that cross, Jesus absorbs the father's wrath. He takes the curse. So the curse of the law is defanged. And now we know that life can reign. Well, Jesus, not only the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is the interpreter of the law. I mean, the law was just pointing to him. And on that Mount, uh, that sermon on the Mount, it's amazing. He would say, well, you have heard it said, this is like Matthew five. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I will tell you, I will tell you, you shouldn't hate your, your brother. You've heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery, but I am now telling you, you shouldn't even lust after your neighbor. I mean, Jesus had the audacity to look at the law and say, hey, by the way, you've heard it said this way, but let me tell you how it really goes. 
I'm the fulfillment of it. I'm the interpreter of it. That whole law thing pointed to me. And it's fulfilled in me. And because of Jesus, and because here's the beautiful reality is people, you gotta understand this. This this church, because of Jesus, we obey. We obey the law, we obey the Lord, not out of not out of fear, but out of love. According to the gospel, according to what Christ has done, we owe the demands of the law nothing. Nothing. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we will stand in the holy God's presence, blameless in Christ Jesus, being declared not guilty. Well, why? Because he's just looking past our sins and saying, oh, no big deal. No, because he looks to his son, says he completed it. He completed the requirements. He died to death. You owe the justice of God nothing. It's incredible. That's you, Christian. That's you today. It'll be you tomorrow. It's you forever. But we owe the grace of God everything. We owe the grace of God everything. And now when he says for us, you've heard it said, but let me tell you this. We do it out of love. We do it out of responding in grace. And we do it for God's glory. So listen to him. You got to read the law through him and then listen to him. We must hear the prophets through him. I mean, Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. It'll start in the gospel. As the prophets have said, Jesus is born, given the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. He's born in Bethlehem. He had a flight to Egypt. I mean, it kept on connecting the dots. As the prophet said, this is the long-awaited Messiah. He is prophecy fulfilled. But again, not just prophecy fulfilled, but like the law, he's the interpreter of prophecy. He's the one who makes prophecy make sense. In Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite chapters of scripture, there's two men walking along this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're downtrodden. I mean, they're really bummed out. They thought that Jesus was it. They thought he was a Messiah, but Messiahs, they thought, don't get killed. They don't get nailed to a cross. And Jesus mysteriously appears with them and walks with them and enters into the conversation with them. And they're like, man, we thought this Jesus was it, but man, they killed him. And it says in verse 25 through 27, and as he said to them, Jesus speaking to these two, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, this is beginning with Genesis, beginning with the Old Testament and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Man, I'd give everything I had to be on that road. To have my heart on fire the way their hearts were on fire. That he would open up scripture and say, let me tell you what the prophets pointed to. That promised seed in Genesis 3, that's me. That suffering servant in Isaiah 53, that's me. That servant was to come, well, that, that's me. The promised prophet that would come, that listened to him in Deuteronomy 18, well, that's me. The promised king in the line of David, well, that, that's me. The promised priest that would offer himself, a well, that's me. I'm all of it. Everything the Bible pointed to finds its yes in me. He's the interpreter of prophecy. And lastly, with this part, he's the last word of prophecy. Hebrews chapter one, one says, in former times, in different ways, God spoke to us through his prophets. God keeps speaking. But in these last days, God spoke to us through his son. He's basically saying, this is, this is a microphone drop moment. 
God revealed himself to us through other folks that were servants, but the son showed up and he's got the last word. And his word is final. It's like, drop the mic, done deal. No more needs to be said. Why I get frustrated with things like cults that will say Latter-day Saints that can find new words that, that he didn't say enough? That Joseph Smith had to appear to dig up some special tablets in upstate New York. I grew up in upstate New York. There are no special tablets there, believe me. And that there'll be new words of revelation. Seriously? After the son speaks, you got the audacity to say, oh, by the way, let me add what Jesus didn't already say. No, no, no. He's the only beloved son. We listen to him. The law We hear the law through him. We hear the prophets through him. We read the Bible through him. He is the one we listen to. He and Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me ask you this. What are you listening to? What are you listening to that rivals what Jesus is saying? Are you listening to your mirror? Are you listening to your community around you? Are you listening to some brokenness inside? What are you listening to? May he have the voice over us. This is my beloved son. See all things through him. At the end of the day tonight, there'll be one team crowned champion of the world at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, there'll be one man standing in that last day. It's Jesus. And his victory isn't just for a year. His victory is forever. He's basically saying this. See all things through him. Now, here's what I want to point out. Seeing all through things through him is this. Suffering always precedes glory. Okay, it's true for his life and it's true for our life. There's a glory that we have in him now, but there's a glory to come and see the way of life. I mean, the way of life was this. I mean, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. Suffering precedes glory. Death has to take place before life. His death has to take place before life is reigns over death and the resurrection. But think about this in your own life. Jesus will say, if anyone wants to find his life, he must lose it. Anyone who wants to save his life is going to lose it. But if you really want to be a disciple of mine, you got to die to your identity, die to yourself, die that you're king, that you're God, die to self and live for me. You see, we see Jesus and this is the way to glory. It's suffering that leads to glory. We see your reality in Jesus. See Jesus only. Are you living your life as a beloved son by God's grace in Christ Jesus? If you've placed your faith and hope in him, you are not a slave, you're a son. And are you seeing your identity in Christ or are you seeing your identity in something else? Let me ask you this. It'll it'll be, are you living like a son or are you living like a slave? Are you in fear of God's law or are you celebrating what Christ has done for you? Are you in fear of what you're not? Are you celebrating of all that you are in him, Jesus, in Jesus? See your circumstances in Jesus. See him, him alone. So many times our circumstances define our God. We look at our, our circumstances, our brokenness, our emptiness and say, well, God, do you not care? Are you not there? But if we see our circumstances through the cross and through the resurrection, we realize that suffering to glory, death to life, he hasn't left the building And let Jesus define your circumstances. What are you putting on a pedestal that obscures your view of Jesus? 
Peter didn't really know what he was doing. I'm convinced. He, Luke says, or Mark says, he did this out of fear. He's like, I'm just going to start talking. And let me, this is great. Let me build you. Uh, let me build Moses something. Let's build Elijah. Something. Let's kind of keep him right here. And what he was doing is he's blurring the view of the one he's got to focus on. The point where father would get rid of them and say, this is the only one. What are you putting on a pedestal that blurs your vision of Jesus? We all have the tendency to do that. What needs to disappear so you see him only? And lastly, this is my beloved son. Rise and do not fear because of him. The Bible will tell us that anytime someone enters into the presence of God, it is an absolutely terrifying experience. Holy God. You don't just stroll in the holy God's presence. Isaiah had the privilege of going in Isaiah 6 to the throne room of God. And he's like, woe is me. A man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I mean, whoa. One of my favorite stories. I I love John. um, Peter, James, and John. We talk a lot about Peter uh, this last series. But John, John described himself in the gospel of John. You know how he described himself? This is great. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Nice, John. (laughs) As if he didn't love the other 11. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wants to say that he outran Peter to the tomb. He, 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 you know, he's the one who's like leaning beside Jesus. He's always the closest one. He's the one who shows up there at the cross. I mean, it's John. And John, who, when he was banished to an island of Patmos and the revelation of God came and he wrote the book of Revelation in John chapter one, the glorified Jesus appeared to him. He saw him a little bit on that mountain, but now all the glory was seen. And he fell down like a dead man. This is the one who loved him so dearly, but the glory of God was so incredible. And what did Jesus do then? He did it here again. He touches him. He says, don't fear. Don't fear. Rise and stand. Why? I got you, John. I got you. I got you, Peter. Scripture is true. It says in the book of Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus has come as God in flesh is our mediator. He's the one who stands between us and the father and makes it safe. It makes it beautiful. It makes it right. And it makes it so crazy safe that we go from falling down like dead men to rise and call this God of the universe Daddy, Abba, Father, but don't you dare call him anything apart from Jesus because he is a holy God and it is a terrible thing to be in his presence, not covered in his son. That's the only way we'll ever have in his presence. And yet here's Jesus always wanting to identify with us, always wanting to love us, reaching down and touching. It says, rise and live. Live without fear, Peter. My victory is your victory. My life is your life. No fear. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Holy God is pleased. If we have Christ Jesus, what do we have to fear? If God is for us, what could be against us? Rise, Orangewood. Rise and do not fear for what Christ has done. Let us pray. 
Father God, continue to work in our lives that you will knock down any obstacle that takes away our sight from Jesus. And God, may we see and hear all things through him. May we listen to his voice over all others. May we see him above all others. And thank you, Jesus, that you continue to come and to touch us in our brokenness and say, rise, rise and fear not because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, we ask that you would bless the giving of our tithes and offerings to more people can hear this good news. We also pray that you'd come and prepare our hearts to meet you at the table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.